ago, 20 minutes ago, the news went out that Prime Minister Netanyahu fired Minister of Defense Yoav Gallant, and the call went out, people, get out and protest. Let's give Prime Minister Netanyahu a night he will never forget. That's what it sounded like late Sunday night in Tel Aviv as Canada's former ambassador, Vivian Berkovich, videoed the protests she saw while standing on the Ayalon Highway, the main thoroughfare through the city that connects the countries north and south. For three months now, every Saturday night, the calm of Shabbat lifts from the streets of Israel and protesters have been rolling in against the Netanyahu government's plans to prevent the Supreme Court from interfering with the actions of the sitting government. Now, the protests have been growing in recent days. They're not just on Saturdays anymore. But after the embattled Israeli prime minister fired his defense minister, Yoav Gallant, on Sunday, after Gallant publicly pleaded with Netanyahu to pause the reforms for the sake of the country's national security, hundreds and thousands of people poured out into the streets. It's now erupted into a full-blown nationwide strike. Airline workers shut down Ben-Gurion Airport. The universities and schools were closed. Banks, too. Government workers joined the strike, and we've confirmed the Israeli embassy in Ottawa and consulates in Montreal and Toronto were on strike as well. Meanwhile, a key coalition partner, Itamar Ben-Gavir, has threatened to pull out if the reforms are delayed. So will Netanyahu blink? Uh, really just a, a civil uprising, a nonviolent from the ground up against a government who is uh, attempting a power grab. And, uh, you know, it just feels like the old Israel that the world, the Jewish world particularly, and even the entire world has learned to admire is standing up on their on their hind legs and saying, enough, until here, we're taking back our country. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Tuesday, March the 28th, an early special edition of the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, and we're sponsored by Metropia. Well, although the political situation in Israel is certainly changing by the hour, we've decided to check in with two Canadian experts who are right in the middle of the protests to give us their first-hand accounts and some analysis. Aaron Heller is a Canadian business and defense analyst and a journalist. He's been based in Israel for years, where he was a correspondent for Associated Press. And Vivian Berkovich was Canada's former ambassador in Israel. She's now editor-in-chief of a startup news service called State of Tel Aviv. Neither of them have slept much in the past 24 hours. We'll get their takes coming up right after this message. During World War II, the Nazis began a little-known program of extermination for their own children. In Peter Klenot's new mystery thriller, The Unwanted, 14-year-old Hannah Ziegler is being driven by her grandfather and her psychiatrist to a euthanasia center. 16-year-old Silky Hartenstein graces the cover of Nazi propaganda magazines. Avi Kreisler is a Munich police detective rounded up for Dachau. And a patrician father hopes his son, David McAuliffe, will be elected the first Catholic president of the United States. In The Unwanted, in the aftermath of war, revenge brings these four people together in ways unimaginable. The Unwanted. Do not skip to the last page. Find it at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. First up is Aaron Heller. He's never voted for Netanyahu for many reasons, like the veteran leader's corruption charges, for getting into bed with the religious far right, for what Heller calls Netanyahu's, quote, scheming, lying, and backstabbing, unquote. Heller did used to have a grudging respect, at least, for Bibi's political skills and his devotion to Israel, but no more. Aaron Heller joins me now from his home in Kfar Saba. Thanks. It's good to be here. 
Well, it's good to see you're safe and sound. You were out and about on the streets in the last 24 hours. So let's start with that. Tell me what it's like out there. What did you see? Well, it's pretty astounding, to be honest. Uh, you know, Israel's been in this uh, stage for the last couple of months where there's been turmoil on the streets and this really sense of, of being down among most of the majority of Israel, just feeling that, you know, this is train is, is going and there's no way to stop it. It's tearing across uh, part of the country. And for the first time, really, what you're seeing in the last 24 hours is this just uprising, which has gotten so big and uh, and really just crossing the country. Unprecedented here. It feels unprecedented pretty much anywhere. I don't know, since the, you know, the anti-Vietnam protests of the 1960s. I mean, uh, uh, really just a, a civil uprising, a nonviolent from the ground up against a government who was uh, attempting a power grab. And it's pretty invigorating to see it. Okay, so you went yesterday or last night, uh, today. Uh, tell me, literally, where were you and what was going on? Well, uh, as you know, there's this morning was announced a national strike, an unprecedented strike, also the labor union, also the employees, the malls, the airport, everything. So this is long ago stopped being a political issue right and left. It's even not even an issue anymore about, uh, you know, the legal uh, or judicial um, reform that they're trying to do. It's really about uh, the battle of the soul of Israel. And so this morning, a uh, continuation of last night, which happened, we literally have hundreds of thousands of people spontaneously, unprompted, out on the streets, blocking highways in cities from the top of Israel to the bottom. Um, the numbers, we don't even know yet, but we've heard on, on media like 700, 800,000 people. I mean, that's like, we're talking about 6 or 7% of the country is out on the streets spontaneously. And so this morning, I was just at one here in Kfarsaba, a local one. You go by the near mall to a major junction, people wearing fl- um, holding flags and banners, standing, blocking um, the street. Uh, the police are there allowing it to happen. They seem like they've pretty much resigned themselves to this is the will of the people and uh, completely nonviolent. Uh, most people who are stuck in these traffic jams are honking in support um, it's really sort of taken on a life of its own. And uh, this has been building, as we said, for three months, but it's come to a crescendo in the last 24 hours. Now, in your own personal life, specifically your house, your family, your work, your children, how is that affecting? Is school canceled? Can you go out to shop or is everybody sort of stuck? Well, I have to start with the before yesterday and from yesterday. Uh, before then, you know, life was going on as normal. There was a little disturbances here and there. You know, they've been at schools, they've been addressing it. There have been democracy days at schools. They've been talking to the children about, about civil uh, discourse. Um, and, you know, there's been the weekly protests every night, Saturday night, uh, all across the country. There's been at least one day of disruption where people going up to Jerusalem or have been blocking the major highways in the center of the country. Um, but again, it was still painted in this, you know, are you for reform? Are you against reform? The minute that it felt like even Netanyahu stopped listening to the people who were closest to him, and the absolute height of it was when he fired his defense minister uh, last night, uh, a defense minister who says he's in favor of the reform, a defense minister who says he's right wing and he has no problem and he's at the height of his political career and has nothing to gain from it, all for basically just reflecting what the military is telling him about the dangers to Israeli security. Then people came out and said, enough is enough. Uh, This has got to stop. And everyone now essentially calling on Netanyahu to freeze it. We're supposed to hear momentarily if he does so. Um, He's got a lot of pressure within his government to continue doing it. But it feels like the wheels have come off of this. And uh, the country is by and large mobilized. I mean, people are just out there demanding that this stops. 
And it's gone beyond this in the sense that a lot of people are saying, you know what, if he would have called this off just 24 hours ago, it would have been a great win for the uh, protesters. Now there's a sense of even people who are in the top defense echelon, government ministers saying uh, Netanyahu has lost the moral authority to lead Israel because of his conduct. And now it's become even not just stopping this, but toppling the government. Talk about the military uh the risks. As we know, Israel always comes together in times of emergencies. And even the pilots who say they're not going to volunteer to do their training, if there is a war, they will all be there. There's no doubt about that. Israel galvanizes itself in that way to defend itself. But internally, the military was warning also that we've got security risks. We've got situation with Hezbollah. We've got in the south. We've got Hamas. We've got the West Bank, Iran, all those things there. But that we're kind of used to. What we're not used to is the military from within giving signs that it would collapse, that people just stop serving, that career officers would not sign up, that reservists would not be there, that commanders do not know who they should listen to, to the government or to the Supreme Court who's overriding the government. So those were the dangers which the military, the Shin Bet, the Mossad, those are the things that really put on the greatest red flags. And that's what they conveyed to the defense minister. And that's what the defense minister conveyed to the prime minister. And then he fired him. Now, you've been also in the business correspondent and doing work in the business field. We've heard that many companies are thinking about taking their capital out or not even putting it in. What are you seeing in terms of the local press about that? Well, that's already started. I was at a protest yesterday, a couple of days ago, where I saw an old colleague of mine who works for an Israeli high tech company, and they've already moved out billions, hundreds of billions of dollars from the country. There is zero investment coming because just from basic business point, you know, what do investors want? They want stability. They want certainty. They don't want to pour money into a place where they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. They don't know if the Supreme Court is going to uh, protect them. And that's at the essential core of the system here in Israel, the high tech, uh, the startup nation. All of that is based on a system in which the laws and regulations are respected. And what's been happening with this government, the most extreme government in Israeli history, is that they've been charging forward. And now you have the ideologues and you have the extremists who have been saying this for years, that they need to reform the judicial system because it doesn't represent them, etc. Um, but nobody uh, thinks that anybody's coming here with a real intention to improve. It's a unholy alliance of people who have interests, either nationalistic, like the settlers, or religious, like the ultra-Orthodox, or personal, like Netanyahu and Derry and others who have legal issues that they're trying to extricate themselves from. And so I really think that the main thing that was discussed yesterday was you hear these generals, you hear the chief of Israel's uh, bank, all the top people saying, you know, this is not in the best interest of the country. And Netanyahu, therefore, has lost what he's had for so many years, whether you liked him or he didn't, whether you voted for him or not. We always assumed that he had the country's best interests in hand. And that trust has been broken because his conduct, his behavior, his statements, those around him show that he's really just concerned about his own personal survival and staying out of prison. What did you make of the breach of the police corridors around his official residence the other day. That's like January 6th stuff, you know? Well, I've heard people say that. It's not really because it looked like when you saw them taking over, I know that area over there, they didn't get anywhere near um, the residence. They just knocked over a police guard station and nobody acted violently there. But yes, I mean, it's not January 6th. If anything, it's the opposite of January 6th because the, the uprising is coming from within the government. It's not external people charging the capital. It's the capital itself trying to, you know, collapse under under itself. All the security chiefs, all the former generals, all the former prime ministers, all the most hawkish people on national uh, security, the Shin Bet 
uh, chief uh, who was speaking, they are all against what the government is doing. Because all these things that you mentioned right now have happened under the watch of this government, which promised to increase security. But security is not a right or left issue in Israel. It is across the country. And the hawkish people on national security also could tend to be the most liberal when it comes to uh, civil rights and, and legal issues as well. So on the security, I think that's a non-issue. Nobody can paint the protesters as people who are soft on terror, so to speak. These are the toughest people in Israel, bar none. The legal issue is different. It's about the character of democracy. And you've got the Shin Bet chief who's in charge of stopping terrorism in the country, but he's also in charge of maintaining Israeli democracy. And he himself is saying, we cannot do our job if we do not serve a democracy and the pilots in the Israeli Air Force and the spies and everybody who keeps Israel safe is saying we are here to serve the kingdom, not the king. And if Israel becomes that way, we don't want a part of it anymore. And that's the real breaking point that's happening here. Next up, we talk to Vivian Berkovitz. She was always an unlikely lefty. She was appointed by the Conservatives to run Canada's embassy in Tel Aviv in 2014. And then when Justin Trudeau took over in 2015, she was let go soon after. She's made Israel her home since then. And with the upheaval since December, she too has been joining the protests each weekend. Always great to talk to you. Well, you've been out in the streets. I saw some of your live reporting on uh, on social media. Can you tell us where you were and what uh, some of the things that still sit with you a few hours after you came home. It's, yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, you know, I'm not feeling terribly well and I was on the couch. It was 940. I get a WhatsApp because this whole country runs on WhatsApp, as you know. And it was like, you know, 40 minutes after Netanyahu had announced that he had fired Yoav Gallant as Minister of Defense. Um, and Yoav Gallant's um, transgression apparently was to warn that the security situation is dire. We simply can't sustain this kind of, um, you know, dysfunction in society. Um, and many people have, you know, in the last few weeks said we are in a serious a security situation um, as we were right before the war in 1973. So this is like serious stuff. These are people all across the board making these comments, security experts, and Netanyahu not only ignores it, but fires Gallant for stepping up and saying so. So people just went ballistic. It was like, there's just a red line you don't cross in Israel, and you don't put the nation in jeopardy when it comes to security. And that's what Netanyahu is seen to be doing right now. There were more people out last night than there have ever been in the last 12 weeks. And between the two of us, one of us has been at every single protest. By the time we get to Kaplan, um, the new message comes out and it says, go to the Ayalon, which is like the 401, okay? And um, that's like, wow. Uh, because, you know, blocking the Ayalon is, is about as serious as it gets. And that's exactly what happened. Everyone had this sense, I get goosebumps as I talk to you, about this really being the moment where things just turn. And, you know, you have hundreds of thousands of people. It was such a Jewish protest. No violence. No violence. You know, the cops, every once in a while, they kind of push through with a car. Everybody just parts and lets them through. Ambulances get through. Um, there were some fires lit, but it was more like camp bonfires, you know, that Canadians can relate to, um, on the Ayalon. There was, like, no sense of threat or danger, or anything sinister or nefarious. I mean, you look at what's been happening in France in recent weeks. When you know, just when you bring together, especially spontaneously, such large numbers of people who are very passionate about what's at stake, 
And I, I like, it was just crazy. I'm on the I alone and I'm trying to move and everyone's saying, excuse me, excuse me. These are Israelis, okay? Slicha, slicha. It was just beyond energizing and important and um, empowering, feeling like, holy cow, this is democracy. So you, you wanted to make a, a guess. We're talking now and our listeners will know we're recording early Monday morning Canada time. Right. The prime minister was supposed to speak at 10 a.m. Israel time and that didn't happen. And so whatever we're saying could all be moot in like a few hours if he decides to do A or B. What are people expecting he should do and what do you think he's going to do? So um, I think he has two choices. Um, and this is classic BB to say, you know, he said hours ago he's going to come out and speak and everyone's still waiting. Um, in the meantime, the head of the Histadrut Union um, came out and made an absolutely fiery speech that just, you know, made you, made you shake. It was so powerful. And he called for a national strike. So the whole country is in the process of shutting down. Ben-Gurion Airport is shut down. In the meantime, we have not heard from Prime Minister Netanyahu since 9 o'clock last night when he fired the Minister of Defense. So in my view, he has two choices. Uh, one is to pause this whole insanity of jamming through these anti-democratic laws before Pesach, before Passover, which he and his colleagues have committed to do in the coming week, like right now. Um, or he says, I'm going ahead. In which case, um, I could make some guesses as to what may happen, but I can give you a, an informed opinion we really will be in some form of extreme civil strife or war because all of the security officials have made clear that they will not take orders from what they consider to be an illegitimate, undemocratic government. And they are an army of law, and this is a country of law, and that the IDF will, will follow the law or if the Supreme Court comes out with any additional decisions, they will follow the court and not the government. So that makes pretty clear kind of where we could be heading. But who knows? Nobody knows. At the moment, Benjamin Netanyahu is busy trying to make deals to save his personal neck. Um, and he's got to deal with all of the extremists that he's been been cultivating over recent years and in particular recent months. And so... You know, Ben Gvir, Eitmar Ben Gvir, our national security minister, who is um, a terrorist um, and a, a really a terrible extremist. Um, Eitmar Ben Gvir has said repeatedly this morning that if the laws are stopped, if the government in any way backs off from its commitments, that he will bring down the government. And, you know, people like me are like saying, please go ahead. <laughs> I want to ask you about one thing from the diaspora point of view, because uh, I'm sure you know how many Canadian uh, and international philanthropists and business people and Jewish Federation leaders and rabbis and on both sides have come out with their views from the diaspora of what what's going on. Does any of that make any percolating into the into the discussion, Israel? Does anyone hear any of this stuff 
because we're we're all in angst about should we talk should we not talk is it going to make it worse for the jew haters like this kind of stuff what do you hear if any of this chatter it's interesting apropos your last uh, comment you know will this somehow embolden empower you know anti-semites jew haters uh, i've received a lot of emails about that um saying that we shouldn't be speaking out this is this we're saving democracy okay we're you know we're not really concerned about which fork and knife we use this is a really existential moment for Israel. So that concern just isn't something. In fact, I'll flip it because I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a very senior journalist in Israel this morning. And he said, you know, this is the most powerful kind of, you know, promotion, hasbara, explanation that we can give to the world because we are showing the world that we are a nation of law and order. We are a nation of peaceful protest. And man, oh man, do we care about our democracy, especially juxtaposed to what you see in France. I mean, they're not even, this isn't existential. This is about, you know, changing the retirement age for two years. Not that, you know, I don't sympathize with them, but I would say to you, back to your main question though, you know, lots of voices. Does anyone care? Does it register? You bet. Um, the Americans have been very vocal. And, you know, the relationship between Israel and America obviously is super important for a million reasons, economic, defense, people to people ties. There are over a million Israelis living in America. The relationships between the IDF and the Pentagon are very important. I would suggest to you, though, and I've heard this number of times, uh, particularly in the last few days, where are the Canadians? And I don't know. I've seen a few things here and there. But when people who aren't Canadian ask me, what's going on in Canada? Where's the community? What's the position? And frankly, I have the same question. And it contrasts very sharply with America. Where that point of view, I mean, we saw what happened with Minister Stamotrich when he uh, visited America recently. So there's Canada, you know, the community in Canada is important. It's big. It's philanthropic. It's connected. But I think it's safe to say is for those who pay attention at all, it seemed to be a little out of touch with what's going on here. People send me petitions from liberal organizations or synagogues saying, oh my gosh, we deplore this and we think this is terrible. And it, it, it kind of like makes me want to scream because we don't need petitions. We don't need prayers. We don't want them. We need people. This is truly an existential moment for Israel. Generals who have fought wars in 67 and 73 wars are saying, this is our 1948 all over again, but it's next level. We have external threats, security threats, and we're absolutely self-imploding. We have domestic threats and issues that we've never faced before. I say, we need you to stand up and speak loudly in support of the protesters. None of this equivocation on the one hand, on the other hand, there was a letter issued by federations weeks ago this is we're this is it. We're down to the wire. Get on planes, charter planes, show you support us. What are you doing right now that is more important than stepping up and standing with those who are trying to save a democratic Israel? Nothing, in my view. We need action. People's lives have been completely consumed by this for 12 weeks. And my daughter very wisely said, send donations to the protesters. 
send donations so we can rent buses, so we can provide food and water, so we can organize, so we can print t-shirts. We don't want or need your prayers or your petitions. We want real support. So you said there's only maybe two things that can happen. We're going to wait and see what um, Netanyahu does. There's a general strike. What more can be done? Will people, you know, storm his house uh, like they did the other night? Look, I think that right now he's doing everything he can to convince his coalition partners that saying he'll pause um, until after Pesach is like no big deal. And then we'll just carry on with the revolution. You know, all those secular leftists in Tel Aviv, they'll forget about it and, you know, carry on drinking champagne and doing what they do. That's what he's busy trying to accomplish right now. Um, if he does not come out and tell the nation that he has listened and that he is going to pause, his government is going to pause this madness, um, then I don't know. I would say all bets are off the table and anyone who tells you they know what's going to happen is, you know, selling you swampland. Um, because the army and the security services have made it clear we're in a very, very difficult situation and they will not take orders from this government. They do not view this government as being legitimate. So, of course, you know, some members of the extreme right, which basically is Netanyahu's government, are saying that this is um, a coup, a military coup. Right. Um, Sounds it, like... Well, in fact, it's not. And that's one of the wonderful things about Israel, that, you know, there could be a military coup in a heartbeat. They're not, it's not a military coup. What we're having right now, though, is a velvet glove coup. Democracy is being destroyed. That's one of the most amazing things. It's like, you know, you always wonder, what if I'd been there? What would it have been like? What would I have done? What would I... Like, I'm telling you, it's surreal. We're living it. And each day is like, you think it can't get crazier and worse. And it does. That's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Maury Pat of Toronto. Don't miss my colleague Lila Sarek's coverage of a protest rally held in Toronto on Sunday outside City Hall by a group of Israeli expatriates who called themselves unacceptable. It's on the CJN's website. Thanks for listening to the CJN Daily. If there are any updates from Israel, of course, check our website and our social media feeds.